the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, here it is, the middle of the week already. I like that. I like these short weeks where I do one day and then I'm in the middle of the week already. That, that's a good thing. Mike Singleton's going to get things underway with us today. He may not know it, but June is Men's Health Month. Hello. What's going on, Mike? Hey, Dave. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Men's Health Month. Tell me about it. It's something that men need to pay. Look, we do... We do prostate cancer and all of that, but there's a whole lot of other things that working points in most men's bodies. Correct? Oh man, men's health month is about celebrating. Uh, you know, paying attention to ourselves a little bit. You know, guys are not that smart, Dave, as you know. I know, and and and, and we tend to be less open and less honest with our doctor during examinations than women. We we're 33 percent less likely to, to visit the doctor and. What that results in is we, we live about five years less than the average woman. Uh, one out of three of us will be diagnosed with cancer. And, um, you know, I think by paying better attention to uh, our, our, ourselves, our bodies, our diets, um, that we can do something about that. You know, really get proactive about our health. Okay, well, let's talk about that. How's the best way to go about uh, making sure that you're the healthiest that you can possibly be? Number one, get a physical examination every year. I do that. It's really important. Yeah, absolutely, man. You were talking about prostate screening, but there's other screenings. I get uh, screened twice a year for skin cancer, one of the number, one of the most prevalent cancers that attacks men is skin cancer. You and I are out in the sun. I'm fishing. I'm hunting. I'm playing golf. I'm doing what I'm doing. I haven't always been the best about sun protection. It's really important to let them go over. And even though uh, they get after you with that freeze gun like a like a kid after a bag of tater chips, but it, it really, it, it really is important. Uh, and then, and then I'm seeing an amazing amount of people not dieting, but educated eating, purposeful eating, really understand how their body uh, reacts to certain foods and, and, and doing a much better job of educating themselves about, you know, what works for them? Uh, well, for let example, me let me let me tell you. I I've gotten better in my diet. It used to be I'd get up, have a package of ding dongs and a Coca Cola. I don't do that anymore. This morning I had a bowl of uh, cottage cheese before I came to work. Absolutely, and, and you know, for the last sixty something years, we've been making pork rinds, and for the vast majority of that, people thought it was just bubba food. Uh, but we actually have zero carbs. We're high protein. Uh, uh, right now, uh, Dave, honest, gosh, we're a keto Dorito. Uh, people are using them in amazing ways, and 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 you know, it really, when you're purposefully eating, 
when you're really watching what you what you what your intake is, one of the things you'll find out, you know, focus on protein actually uh, makes you feel fuller faster. Um, it's just one of those tricks, you know. Your your body has all these 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 devices to tell you, oh, that's sweet, that's sour, that's hot, that's so, you know, that's going to kill you. Was the way the real reason taste was developed is you know. Uh, you could die if you eat that. That tastes bad, and, and so you know it sends signals to your stomach too. Like uh, you're eating a, a cheese doodle, and it sends a signal to your stomach. Oh, something great's coming. Well, nothing ever gets there, right? And, and your stomach sends a signal back up saying, "Hey, more." It's the opposite <laughs> with the pork rind. You know, you eat it. It says, "Hey, something good's coming." And when it gets there, it's surprised that it's protein. And right. Somebody goes, "Whoa, slow down, cowboy." Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so our our diets are one of the the things that we really need to pay attention to. What about? Let me ask this: As you get older, muscle mass is something that you know you got to really work at to to try to keep uh, enough muscle mass that uh, your body can function really healthily. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's not just the mass, but it's the exercise. We see this again and again and again, and I don't know about you, but I I think they ought to teach a class in the fourth quarter of your life because no one understands you're taking care of your parents, you're taking care of your kids still, you're taking care of your grandkids still. And, and, And one of the things that I've seen again and again and again is frailty is one of the leading causes of, of that downward slide that we see in our parents. And, and this is something that, once again, with proper diet, protein, uh, uh, white shakes are great, smoothies are great, you know, lots of fruit, lots of green vegetables, and lots of exercise. And don't forget the weights. You know, you mentioned muscle mass. You just can't forget the weights. Even five-pound weights can add a lot to your muscle mass. And walking and staying uh, active is just critical in, in, in a healthy lifestyle. Okay, so when look, I'm a gym rat. I always was a gym rat, and uh, you go in my garage. I got my own little workout room. I've got my own little kind of iron cage of pain that I enter into. But I don't do like I used to. Look, I'm not trying to get a personal best on benching and stuff like that. I I usually hit. Uh, my bench presses are somewhere in the 95 to 115 pound range. So you, you, you do that. That's good enough to keep you in good shape, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And by the way, you're doing way more than most. You know, this is the kind of thing that you have to do. And once five-pound dumbbells, 10-pound dumbbells, you don't need a lot of weights. You just need a program. Okay. And my wife and I walk every day. And it's one of our best times of the day. Um, now, as Texas gets a little hotter this time of year, you kind of <laughs> got to push that back to nine nine thirty. But it is so important uh, in, 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 in maintaining a healthy lifestyle, as well as 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 you know, eating great things like artichokes, rich in fiber, vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. There's just so many great ways um, to fuel yourself. Uh, other than Ding Dong and Coca-Cola, as delicious as they are. <laughs> I love Ding Dongs. Man, they're one of I my favorite them. foods. I love them. But I, can, I like I like cottage cheese, too, though. But I tend to throw a little pineapple into it as well, you know, during the course of the day. Have you, have you tried grilled pineapple? I have. With a oh, 
grilled fresh pineapple, grilled on your grill. Yep. Uh, and then I do a topping of uh, ancho, sugar, and a little kimchi of our kimchi barbecue pork rinds. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that sounds good. Hey, where in Texas you live at? Uh, I live in Grapevine, Texas. I know where Grapevine is. Okay. I, 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 used to do, I used to do uh, football, high school football broadcast it in texas i've been all over the state of texas and that's saying something because there's a lot of state of texas oh man i tell people all the time that 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 uh, it, you know you get to to see so many different uh temperate zones in texas from high desert all the way to the east texas piney forest that you'll, you'll swear you're in atlanta yeah um, uh, in East Texas, and you'll swear you're in Arizona and West Texas, and there's everything in between. Okay, so uh, for, and, for my listeners, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. I'm going to take you over to one last little segment here because we got a break, and that that yeah. being, you know, for Health Month this this uh, this month that's coming up for men, what is would you say is the number one thing for them to be thinking about to zero in on? Men want something like that. Yeah, simple. Um, yeah, that's my nickname, by the way, Dave. Uh, uh, our CFO calls me Simple Singleton. Um, uh, you know, you're you're so right. And and and, and the number one thing uh, that 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 men need to focus on this month is focus on themselves. You know, if it aches, get it checked out. Uh-huh. If it's a weird black spot, you know that's not normal. And if you're eating cruddy, uh, get on the Internet. It's easier than ever to be educated. It's the most amazing time in the history of, of the world at the access to information that can help us and hurt us. They have no doubt about it. But the, the amount of great information out there about uh, purposefully eating is just amazing right now. And we're seeing so many people have incredible I mean, lose 80 pounds, 90 pounds, 100 pounds when combined with exercise. It, it's, you know, it, it, it's just amazing. And they take the time to contact us and tell us their stories about how they're using uh, our product to replace breading, replace carbs, and how a high-protein diet is really helping. It's, it, it's, like I said, the last five, six years have just been an amazing transformation in the perception of the product. All right, so so here here's the key. I hear for when you lift, the best uh, thing that you can do, is, and you got to ease into it. You can't just start do, trying to do two hundred pounds on this deadlifts. Is that true? Oh, well, it's the one that combines all the skills. It combines speed, uh, strength, and most of all, balance. You know, you mentioned earlier that 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 you know keeping muscle masses. Is important, and, and that's all part of balance. Uh, which, which is, is, you know, when you think back of it, we were meant to lift logs and chop wood and do harder work than we actually do today. And and maintaining those those motions, uh, gosh, I just know some awful healthy, hardworking men, don't you? Yep. I do, too, and I got to tell you, I got to run, but uh, I'm looking forward to this. My other suggestion to all men is uh, get a get yourself a subscription to Men's Health. I read it uh, religiously. I subscribe to it. It's a great magazine. Unbelievable. Uh, they even a couple of years ago called us a genius junk food. 
Um, uh, it's kind of the high point of a pork rind, guys. <laughs> hey, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Uh, we're going to move on, but I just wanted to, I want men to understand this month is for us and our health, and you gave some good tips to do. Uh, i got to go see a nephrologist today and, and make sure everything's going all right with the kidneys. Well, yeah, I think our key word today is pay attention, guys. All right. We appreciate you. Thanks so much for joining Thank us here buddy. on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll let you go. All right, so that's going to that's gonna wrap it up with our, our guest on being a great, great uh, men's health month. It's the first day of the month. You know, I wanted to give us some time. You know, we, you know, you got the big march for women's breast cancer and all of that kind of stuff. It's important that guys understand. Got to pay a little attention to our own bodies and make sure that, uh, you know, being serious about what it is that you got to do to uh, make things work uh, correctly. Like I said, I'm seeing a nephrologist today. That's a kidney doctor. All right. And I'm seeing them not because the doc said so, because I know and when you got type two diabetes, it's tough on your kidneys. So I'm going to go take a take a take a listen to the doc, and then I've got uh, a doctor, a dermatologist next week. I got to see. I spend more time at the doctor than I do at my wife with my wife. In fact, all right, it's Dave Ellswick show. That's not true. Uh, it's Dave Ellswick show. It's uh, 19 after six. Let me remind you about East End Towing. You need a tow. They're the people to call. All you got to do is ring them up, 501-888-8849. Let me give you that number again, 501-888-8849. Here's what I'll tell you about East End Towing. They know what to do in any situation you're stuck in. And you go, Dave, I'm going to be stuck on the side of the road. Yeah, but how are you stuck on the side of the road? Did your car break down? Did you, uh, or were you driving down the road and the wheel went off uh, on the trailer behind you? And, and uh, it's a flat tire, and you're pulling your boat. Or, God forbid, you're pulling your trailer, and something's wrong with the hitch. All of those can be taken care of uh, by East End Towing. All you have to do is call them, 501-888-8849. That's 501-888-8849. Remember, no matter the situation, it's East End Towing. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show, uh, seven minutes to the bottom of the hour. Uh, we've got uh, a Mr. Borline going to join us in the uh, 6.35 segment of the show, new book out, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up. We're going to talk about that. It's important that we, we speak about it. Seven o'clock uh, coming up, we got uh, some other things that are going to be uh, spoken of with us. Uh, Nathan Lewis, we're going to talk about inflation, give you a kind of inflation 101 uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 735. It'll be Bruce Westerman. And then uh, at 9.05, when we come back for that uh, that late uh, hour that we do, uh, we'll talk to a Mr. Davis here on the Dave Ellswick Show, talk a little bit about uh, cancel culture, and then at uh, 9.35, uh, we'll talk to uh, David Ray, and uh, he's state legislator, and we'll speak with him about um, guns. And we'll talk in what's being talked about in the halls of the state house. And then we'll also talk to him about uh, what he thinks 2023 is going to look like uh, when they get all together and uh, have the next general session. 
at uh, at the um, at the at the um, state capitol. So we'll be uh, looking at that. Okay, so we've got a lot of stuff that's that's going on today. Let's put it that way. Uh, interesting. I don't know if you heard this story or not. It just came out today. Uh, in fact, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase this for you. And that is that the Uvalde Police Department uh, is not taking part any longer in the investigation of the shooting uh, that uh, happened uh, down in in Texas. Uh, it's um, interesting that this is happening. Uh, you would think that they'd want to get as much information out as they can. Uh, but last Friday, uh, they they heard uh, the people that came in to, to do this, uh, uh, you know, the state people, the uh, Texas uh, Rangers came in and didn't like what they were hearing about how and why did things get carried out the way they did at Uvalde. Since Columbine, and that's going back a few years now, one thing that has been understood is that if you have a active shooter on a scene, you must go in as quickly as you possibly can and engage them. If you don't, then all you're doing is allowing the shooter to walk the halls, basically, and uh, have target practice. And, you know, I've had Ed Monk on here countless times talking about this. Time matters when you're talking about an active shooter. An active shooter, on average, and they've got, I mean, they've got this, this, some of this stuff down to a science. And an active shooter is going to shoot somebody uh, as fast as they can, and it will happen about every 10 seconds. Think about that for a moment. So now think about the Uvalde police who are standing outside of uh, the school. In fact, in part of that time, they were inside the school, uh, outside the classroom, and did not rush it, afraid that they were going to take fire. And uh, it wasn't until a border agent went in and, and took care of the, the situation. And, and now we're hearing that it's not like he ran home and got his gun or something. He he evidently took a firearm from his wife and used that to neutralize the shooter. And uh, you think of you got you got you're out in the hallway. You're not doing anything but sitting there waiting, and you're getting calls from the kids in the room. Nine one one calls saying, come and help us, and nobody's coming to help them. This is the one thing, this is the number one thing that we learned from Columbine years ago. And they didn't, they didn't do anything. In fact, they told the Border Patrol, when they showed up, they told them to stand down. They told them to stand down. Don't do anything. We got this under control. Uh, they didn't have anything under control. Uh, evidently, just recently, uh, the person who was in, in charge at the scene had gone through an active shooter course. I mean, what was he doing, sleeping? He evidently didn't pay any attention. 
to what he was taught. Because I could tell you, if he went through like Ed Monk's active shooter course, uh, he would have known that you've got to engage the shooter. And whether you like it or not, it's just like being in the military. If you got bad guys out there, it's up to you to stop them. That's what, that's what the taxpayers pay you to do. Over the weekend, I spent time uh, celebrating Memorial Day watching HBO and watching the great uh, HBO uh, series Band of Brothers. And it just amazed me as I watched that. And by the way, a lot of Arkansans in the 101st Screaming Eagles uh, during World War II is that um, they always moved forward. Uh, the only time they didn't move forward was when a lieutenant took over uh, a platoon and didn't move them forward, and they were getting slaughtered as they went into the the town of Foy. So bottom line, they're not helping any longer. I think they know they're going to be culpable, and they may be finding themselves in court. All right, time to get some news, and then we'll be back here with more of the Dave Ellswick Show and Mark Berline, who will be our next guest here on the show. All right, back with you. Don't forget about ICU protection. Uh, They're important to your home, to your safety, to your security. I just got one of their security systems put in a little over a month ago. I am beyond happy with it. It's fantastic. Uh, uh, The camera on my uh, driveway uh, goes on anytime it picks up any kind of animal or human being walking on the driveway. And uh, it was interesting the other day, I had not uh, been expecting anybody, and I looked down at my phone, and all of a sudden I get this thing, you know, an alert. And so I check it out, and it happened to be my son-in-law. And I decided to come on over to the house. He was doing some things in the (laughs) the flower bed. You got to know my my son-in-law. He's an unbelievable guy. And uh, he did a lot of things uh, uh, there in the front. I went outside and said, hey, what are you up to? You set off my uh, my security system. He says, oh, I just thought I'd come over and take care of a few things that I thought uh, needed to be taken care of before it got too hot. And I said, well, I appreciate it. But uh, that's the kind of things you can expect as well as I've got uh, the sensors uh, on all my windows and doors. So if a door is open and you go outside, it sounds like somebody rings a, a doorbell and it tells you what door has been opened. Uh, so that uh, you're, you you know or anybody that's in the house knows that somebody's going out uh, in the house or if they're coming into the house. I got uh, that on all of the doors and, and windows. So I'm, I feel pretty good now uh, about the house. We've got uh, two cameras on the house. We can see well out into the yard through the front camera at the doorbell, and we can see very well. Uh, if you're coming up and trying to go through the back gate or whatever, we can see all of that, and we're paying attention. Just know that we're paying attention to it. And and here's a, the other good thing that's really nice uh, dealing with ICU protection, and that is this, is that you pay for the service, but all that equipment they put on, and I'm thinking, and let me just think here for a second, windows, one, two, three, four, five six 
seven, eight, nine, nine windows, ten windows, uh, eleven windows, plus the doors, one, two, three, five, all of that. That's all that equipment. Two cameras, 1080p, by the way, absolutely very, very clear, and it didn't cost me a penny, not a penny. I'm not paying for that equipment at all. All I pay for is the service. And uh, that's all you'll pay for as well. It's not like I got a special deal from Buddy or Billy Mac, the uh, the owner of ICU Protection. But you need to give them a call. If you'll call them at 501-205-1333, they'll take care of you. That's 501-205-1333. That's ICU Protection. And... Uh, I'm just telling you, best protection I've had at my house, security. I've had ADT and some others. This one was is really, really, really good. All right, we're waiting for the author to call us. We haven't heard from them yet. Uh, hopefully, we will hear from them here in the very near future and get them on. He, uh, Mark Berline has uh, written a new book. It's called The Dumbest Generation Grows Up. From stupefied youth to dangerous adults, in fact, is the um, other part of the the title of this book. Let me just give you a breakdown on this. Back in 2008, uh, Bayline uh, was a voice crying in the wilderness as experts uh, greeted the new generation of digital natives with extravagant hopes for their high-tech future. He pegged them as the dumbest generation. Uh, Today, their future doesn't look so bright. Their present is pretty grim. The 20-somethings who spent their childhoods staring into a uh, screen are lonely, purposeless, unfulfilled at work and at home. And uh, we're going to talk about that uh, with Mark. And I think it's an important thing to to look at. Uh, You know, they they were talking and they've been talking about the problems uh, that we're facing now. You know, I always talk about science fiction because science fiction is no more than something that probably uh, in the new, near future will become science fact. And uh, I've talked a lot about um, the problems that we're facing uh, here in this in this country with the labor shortage that we're getting. There's a lot of people who do not want to work any longer. And I always point out in Star Trek, you never saw anybody getting paid. Nobody was getting paid for any of the work they were doing. It was like the government uh, sent everybody money, and uh, you were supposed to be happy. Well, inflation and the tight labor markets are becoming a win-win now for robots. That's right. Companies are going to robots. Orders for workplace robots in the United States surged 40% year over year in the first quarter of 2022. As companies are leveraging automation to combat ongoing labor shortages and cut costs as inflation continues to hover near a 40-year high. This is what happens when you raise the minimum wage up to $15 an hour, and, and uh, I heard a, a politician out in California yesterday, yesterday saying that, uh, I take that back, it was in Seattle, saying that they needed to have a minimum wage of $30 an hour. 30 
dollars an hour. I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have a lot of people don't have work. That's what's going to happen. And a lot of these companies are saying, well, you know, we've always known that labor was one of the highest costs uh, in business. But $30 in um, an hour is not a high cost. It's a suicidal cost. Uh, we can't stay in business and pay that. According to data from the Association for Advancing Automation, around 9,000 robots collectively worth approximately $544,000 were sold in the United States during the first quarter, compared to more than 6,400 robots collectively worth approximately $346,000 sold during the same period a year ago. Across North America, over 11,500 robots collectively worth approximately $646 million were sold in the three-month period from January through March. That's the most ever purchased in a single quarter. The North American figures represent growth of 28%, 43% respectively over the first quarter of 2021, and 7 and 25% respectfully over the fourth quarter in 2021, the previous best quarter. Boston Dynamics, one of the leaders in automation, frequently showcases the work they've been doing with a uh, robot called Spot. And uh, Spot uh, A3 represents nearly 1,100 automation manufacturers, uh, component suppliers. And uh, they're saying uh, system integrators and uh, users of automation, academic institutions, research groups, and consulting firms across the United States are saying this is only going to accelerate. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a whole lot of jobs that people used to take that just not are not going to be available any longer. I go back uh, home every so often, back to uh, up in the Gary, Indiana area. I worked in the steel mill to make uh, my way as far as going to college. I didn't have to take out a lot of loans. I worked during the summer, made a decent salary, uh, did a lot of of um, um, manual labor tasks, worked with the with the uh, the bricklayers and people like that, carrying the bricks and up and down ladders and all of that kind of stuff in all of the heat now they don't have those people anymore it's all done automatically now there there's automation does all of that i used to work in the old open hearth you know where they uh, they didn't have the oxygen furnaces they have now and you had to knock out the bricks ever so often and that was a lot of manual labor they don't have to do that anymore and uh, more and more of it is automated you go to the uh, you go to out to the area where they're running the steel and they're pressing it, and uh, they're taking an ingot and they're beating it down and then you know heating it up and they're putting it in between rollers and they're pressing on it and they make sheet metal out of it. It used to take countless people to do that. They used to have a control booth. I'd go up there to to see the guys and I was learning a little bit of stuff so that I could spell them when they needed to be spelled. And they had eight guys. Eight guys up there. Uh, You're lucky now if there's one. Most of that is all taken care of by computers. So what happens when 
more and more of this stuff keeps on happening and there's less and less jobs. Sure, there's there's uh, people that aren't working right now. But what happens when they're, uh, you know, if the government gets away from giving them money for not working, so suddenly tells them they got to go to work. But when they go to look for a job, there's not a job there. You know, look, you look at one of the places that a lot of my generation got started at were in the hamburger places. You know, flipping burgers and things of that nature. You had countless people working at a McDonald's, for instance, or a Burger King or whatever fast food place it was. There's not as many people anymore. I mean, more and more of them you go to and you get a, you, you, you look and uh, you go to a kiosk and you order. You don't order at the, the counter and there's nobody there. You order at the kiosk, the kiosk delivers your order to the back, they make it in the back, it comes up to the front, and then your number goes up on a, a screen or something, and you go up and pick it up. Well, you've probably gotten rid of two jobs that way. You're going to save a lot of money over over time. So you who think that you got to have $15, $20, $25 an hour jobs to do menial tasks, Pretty soon those menial tasks are going to be gone, and we're seeing that in how automation is taking over. It's even happening in the car industry. Big, big people making big, big money, not making that money anymore. They don't need them. They got robots to do all that welding and everything. All right, let's get a break. We've got to do that. Got to remind you about PI Roofing. PI Roofing will take care of your roof. All you need to do is call them. Their phone number is 501-707-3551. That's 501-707-3551, or visit them online, piroofing.com. So why PI Roofing? Well, they test the people at their uh, their company before they hire them. They make sure that they can do the job before they let them get on your roof. They'll come out and look at your roof, and they'll tell you what's wrong with it. If there's something wrong with it, they'll tell you, and if you want to proceed and do something about it, they'll do the work They'll talk to your insurance company. They'll deal with your appraiser. You don't have to. They'll save you money in the long run. I'll guarantee it. They've done that twice for me uh, on my my roof alone. And if a mistake is made, it's on them. They'll fix it, and you'll not pay a dime. That's PI Roofing, 501-707-3551 or piroofing.com. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. We got about nine minutes, eight minutes going up to the top of the hour. Looks like our author may have got his times messed up. This happens. I was just talking to uh, Heidi about this. And it, it occurs when you've got sometimes you'll have an author that's, and typically it's on East Coast time. So that's an hour before us. So I wanted him on at 635, which is 735 there. And uh, what happened is that they think that we're an hour, you know, ahead of them. And so it's, it gets them all confused. So uh, we'll reset Mark uh, Bayline about this because we, we do want to talk to him. Coming up at 7.05, Nathan Lewis will be with us. Got a new book out that uh, you should make yourself familiar with because it's something that we're dealing with right now. And that's inflation. And, uh, you know, what it is, why it's bad, how to fix it. I can tell you how you fix it. Uh, I watched uh, Paul Volcker do it with Reagan when we went through this back in Carter days. You've got to raise interest rates. You've got to tighten up the money supply. 
And you got to do it in such a way that you don't throw the country into a recession. I don't know if the Biden administration is smart enough. In fact, the president yesterday made the statement that he still wants to do Build Back Better. Now, we're in the position that we're in right now because of all the money they've already flooded the market with, you know, about $3 trillion. The president wants to dump another three and a half to six trillion dollars into uh, the economy and all that's going to do is you know make what's happening worse he will drive inflation up higher i don't know if i don't know if he's not happy with eight percent and he wants to head for 10 and 12 or what i i heard that uh, jerome told him that uh, they needed to raise interest rates uh, by maybe one to two percentage points higher than inflation. All right. That means if it's 6% inflation, that's an interest rate of 8%. Now, here's what makes it so difficult to do that. We are so awash in debt, uh, and it's tied to the interest rates. You know, whatever we're paying uh, to pay off our debt, we pay off that much more when our interest rates go up. If the interest rates goes up, our debt payment goes up, which means there's less money for business. If there's less money for business, they don't expand. The businesses are not expanding. What happens? Well, they don't hire people. People don't have jobs. What happens then? Well, you know what I'm saying. It's a it's a vicious circle at that point. So we'll talk to our uh, our guest about it, uh, and uh, he has put together this book, and uh, it's a series of essays uh, written by such people as uh, Steve Forbes and Elizabeth Ames, and of course Nathan Lewis himself has written some of this material as well. He's one of the world's leading authorities on monetary policy and economic history. Uh, the author of The Magic Formula, The Timeless Secret to Economic Health and Prosperity, uh, Gold, the Once and Future Money, Gold, the uh, Monetary Polaris, and Gold, the, the Finest and Final Standard. Uh, he's a Discovery Institute fellow. His writing has appeared in Forbes, the Financial Times, and elsewhere. He publishes the Polaris Letter, which is a monthly investment newsletter available at World, newworldeconomics.com. And I'd highly recommend that you read it. Yeah, I read a lot more. I, I read a lot of stuff. I got to tell you, I spend a lot of time uh, just reading, 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 and trying to keep up uh, to date on what on what's going going on uh, in all facets of the geopolitical world that uh, we find ourselves now. And it's we are we are on a in a tough tough place right now. Uh, here in this country as far as things, uh, um, you know, our our country goes as far as the economy is concerned. Finally today, a story from Tim uh, Pierce uh, finds that most Americans believe that having armed teachers properly trained would make schools a safer place rather than the opposite. A new poll conducted by the Trafalgar Group in partnership with Convention of States Action 
shows that a majority of 2022 likely voters support having properly trained armed teachers in school. You know, down in Lake Hamilton, they've had this for years. They had this before even Columbine happened. Maybe why nothing like that has happened down there. Uh, The poll was conducted in the aftermath of a mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, in which 21 victims, including 19 children, died. Researchers surveyed uh, uh, the uh, general election voters from May 25th through the 29th. The poll's results have a margin of error of 2.9, and uh, about 55% of uh, those polled agreed that uh, armed teachers was the answer. Now, the way you do the armed teaching, you find out the teachers that want to be armed, who want to go through the necessary training. And, and please don't say to me, but Dave, what happens if one of the kids gets a hold of the gun? Well, you know what? That's pro- you know, in an elementary school, uh, that's probably very, 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 very uh, infrequently going to ever happen. So it's something that you got to be, uh, you know, uh, that you have to understand. I saw what the president said yesterday. The problem isn't hardening the schools. The problem is guns. No, the problem is people who are using the guns illegally. That's the problem, okay? And we got another problem. We got young people, uh, like this kid that was 10 years old that found himself uh, being put under arrest by the police, threatening, threatening the school that he goes to with pictures of him with, uh, with guns. I'm just telling you, that would have never happened when I was younger. Just never would. We had guns in the back of our pickups. Nobody ever thought about going in and shooting people. There's a disconnect somewhere, in some way, because of something, and we've got to figure it out here in the United States. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you uh, here after the top of the hour news. Let's get back at it here at a seven o'clock hour Dave Ellswick show, and uh, we're going to start it off 
with uh, Nathan Lewis. Nathan Lewis has put together a series of uh, essays written by some of the leading economists around in our country dealing with inflation. name of uh, the book is Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. So we want to talk about that with Nathan. Nathan, thanks for joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Look, I'm uh, I'm 69 years old, so I remember the Jimmy Carter administration. I remember going through this one time before and uh, remember what it took to get us out of it with Paul Volcker and the uh, the Fed and it wasn't a pleasant experience. This time it looks like the Fed's got their hands kind of tied. They they got all kinds of problems that they got to deal with. One being the national debt being so high. How do you raise interest rates and and, and not kill the economy? So uh, let's start off at the beginning. Explain all of this spending that's been going on here recently uh, that uh, that the president's wanted to, has done. And then he wanted to do some more, but Manchin saved him from himself by not letting him get through the Build Back Better program, although he brought it back up yesterday. Does, does the president just not understand that what it is that he wants to do will make the problem worse and not make it better? Uh, yes. Um, well, I should not say yes. He doesn't understand. Uh, we, there's definitely a, a connection there's definitely a connection, and people sense this, and people have an intuition about this, between uh, the federal government's deficit spending patterns and the inflation we have today. Um, although it's, it's not quite as direct as, as my people might assume, um, a, a government can finance the deficit of, of any size by selling bonds, and it doesn't necessarily affect the currency itself, which is the monetary inflation that uh, we had in the 1970s and, and that we are having today. But what happened, uh, has happened, especially since 2008, and certainly happened in 2020, is we're now getting into a very dangerous pattern of not only are they spending a lot of money, but they're asking this to be financed by, or not quite asking, but uh, one way or another, it ends up being financed by uh, the Federal Reserve, by through money creation, and not very surprisingly when you start to increase the supply of money by substantial amounts, uh, the currency value can fall as a consequence, and that, and that has definitely happened in the last couple of years. Okay, so so when you're, when the, when what your money is worth, and by the way, money is only worth what the people are willing to believe that it's worth. That, that's something, I'll never forget Richard Nixon when I was a senior in high school, being on television and holding up a dollar bill, he was getting ready to take us, I think, off the gold standard. And he made this statement and he said, I just want you to know that the dollar that you have today will be worth a dollar tomorrow and a dollar next year, whatever it was else that he said. I just remember him standing on television and trying to convince people that that dollar would always be worth a dollar. So it told me right then that it all depended on what the people thought, if it was worth a dollar. Also, what other countries think. What are they willing? I mean, uh, you know, we want people to buy our bonds because, as, as you said, you got to sell bonds to, to finance all this uh, money they got out there. And instead of selling it to other countries, now we sell it to ourselves. I want people to think about that. we got the Federal Reserve, which is kind of like our big bank, and we spend money, we go into debt, and we've got a bank who buys our debt from us. It's crazy. It, it, it just can't, 
continue. That's right. And, you know, we didn't have this policy for most of U.S. history. Uh, just as you say, a dollar is today is sort of whatever the market will accept it for. It's a floating fiat currency. That's what that means. Its value is indeterminate. It's kind of arises chaotically. Um, but that's not the way we used to do things. We used to, dollar used to be a fixed amount of, or equivalent to a fixed amount of gold or silver, uh, and later a gold loan, the gold standard system. And so the basic idea there was that the value of the currency, and not just the U.S. dollar, but all the major currencies, was not, you know, just up and down by the whims of central bankers and the currency markets, but had a real fixed value. And it was very successful. The United States became the most wealthiest country in the history of the world. The last decade of that period, of the 1960s, was the most prosperous decade of the last century, essentially. Um, so it's a very successful system. Uh, and But we abandoned that Richard Nixon, under Richard Nixon's uh, administration. And now, yeah, we now have a situation where uh, it's very chaotic. It's hard to tell what the value of our currency may be in the future. And just as you mentioned, uh, one of the problems is it not only may an increase in the money supply, which that did do a couple of years during COVID in 2020 lead to a decline in value and inflationary consequences. But this can come around about by also, you might call it the demand side, where people just look at where things are going, whether it be deficits or, or hints that the Federal Reserve will kind of do this money creation process again or however things might go. And they'll just say, you know, I don't want to be a part of this party. I'm going to get out of here. And the currency value might fall substantially even without an increase in supply. Uh-huh. We talk about it in, in, the, in the book somewhat. So I, I think it's, it's a risky situation because uh, we haven't had that yet. We haven't had what you could call a loss of faith, an entirely rational loss of faith. But it's not very hard to imagine how it could come about in, in just a short period of time. So what's Jerome going to do? I mean, he's really in a, he's in between a rock and a hard place right now. He's going to try to land this economy so we don't go into a recession. Personally, I don't see him being able to do it. Let, let, let me let's let's just compare history here. What did Volcker do under Reagan to get us out of the inflation of the Carter era into a stable marketization again, and then building the American economy? And what's what's Jerome got to do now? Well, we have a pretty simple message in the book which is, if you think of inflation, the monetary type of inflation, prices can go up and down for other reasons, too, baby food shortages. Uh, but if you just think of it as a change in the value of your currency and consequently market price adjustments that follow on afterwards, then the answer is just don't do that. Just, you know, just keep the currency from falling any further. Uh, and that is exactly what uh, Paul Volcker did in the early 80s. Rather messily, rather maybe much more difficult than it has to be. But that's all there really is to it. Um, and actually, I think the Fed had realized that it went overboard in 2020. It realized that they couldn't, they had to hold the line for a while. And they actually have. See, if you look at the dollar recently, it's actually pretty strong against other currencies. Uh, gold prices have not gone on, got up in recent months. Um, and so there's evidence that, that the Fed is, is kind of wants to keep things from getting out of hand. Uh, but the problem I see is that there may definitely be recessionary consequences of this, 
And what happens in a recession? Haven't we played this, uh, you know, seen this movie before? Doesn't Congress start to spend tons of money? And isn't there pressure on the Federal Reserve to, mm-hmm. to back off and ease its policy and maybe even print some money to, to pay these big bills that the Congress is racking up? And I think that if we get into that cycle again, uh, it could have substantial consequences. Actually, more inflationary, more inflationary consequences. Okay, so... Typically, Volcker said the only way you slow down inflation, in fact, stop inflation, is that you raise interest rates, and you don't do it by a half a percent or a quarter percent like uh, uh, Jerome's doing. I mean, he went in and and really raised uh, interest rates up, and he made it hard to get money, didn't he? Well, actually, that's a bit of a myth. Actually, he... uh the whole, we're kind of against the whole idea of, you know, raising interest rates uh, in our book. And actually, Volcker didn't do that. Uh, he, would, he actually transitioned, transitioned to monetarism, uh, which allowed interest rates to be uncontrolled by the Federal Reserve. And given the extremely poor situation at the time, no one bought to buy bonds, and the yields went up. Um, after Volcker was able to kind of stabilize the currency in, in 82, 83, uh, then interest rates came way back down and kind of got things under control. So I, I think that's actually I think that's actually a myth of the Volcker era that, oh, well, you just really need high interest rates. What, what you see over and over again in every country that has inflation and fixes it is that interest rates collapse. They don't go up, they go down. Um, and, and it's pretty easy to understand if, you're, if your currency is more reliable, then, then you're going to have a lower yield on it on debt. So uh, I, w- I, de- I definitely caution against that the knee-jerk, or not, not knee-jerk, but I would caution against that kind of interest rate-focused response. It really, it's really about stabilizing the value of the currency, not necessarily interest rates. Okay, so Volcker was a little bit more of a market guy, is what, what I'm hearing you say. He didn't have to raise the interest rates. He just knew if we allowed things to take its natural course, they would go up on their, their own and come back down. Does Jerome seem to have that idea? I don't see a whole lot of market-based principles going on in this country anymore. Well, what uh, the Fed is doing right now is actually, uh, so they created quite a lot of money uh, in 2020, and that had consequences. And now the Fed is kind of rolling some of that back. They did it kind of informally with what's known as a reverse repo program, and they're now doing it more more overtly now with the so-called quantitative tightening. Um so, so right now, the Fed is actually trying to be pretty responsible about that. At least get it, keep things from getting worse. Uh, but I, I, I most concerned right now is what's the next step. And if we do have a recession, I think that you're going to see, you know, the whole, the whole stock market is waiting for the time, the moment when the Fed, Fed flip flops and then say, oh, we're back into easy money mode. Um, and this is the process by by which. The dollar today, at my, my estimate, is only about worth about one fiftieth of what it was worth in the 1960s. You go through this, uh, you know, let's be responsible, let's have easy money to help the economy cycle back and forth. It's actually called you know, the Fed dual mandate. And uh, long-term outcome of that is our currency today is worth much less than it used to be. Yeah, I saw I saw a political cartoon of uh, Biden, and it said the 87 cent stops here. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of I kind of like that. I I'm, I'm going to get a copy of that and put it on my wall. All right, our guest is is Nathan Lewis. We've talked a little bit about what inflation is. We've talked, uh, you know, 
what it kind of does. We're going to talk about why it's bad, and then we're going to talk about how you fix it. I'm not going to leave you wondering how you're going to fix it because Nathan's got some answers for that. It's from a book called uh, Inflation, all right? What it is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. So we'll be back with Nathan in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Don't forget about uh, David uh, uh, Lucas. Uh, He'll teach you how to buy silver and gold. That seems to be uh, the bastion of everybody running out there to buy silver and gold. Kind of put with inflation doing what it's doing to try to protect their nest eggs, their their IRAs, their 401ks, and, you know, the savings that you might have put together. Because inflation is terrible on retirees and the money that you save because your money that you saved is now worth less. And uh, for people on fixed incomes and uh, for poor people. It's tough. We'll talk about that, in fact, when we come back and explain it to you. So learn how silver and gold could help you protect your assets. And uh, just call 501-222-3315. They work with one of the only regulated and licensed national wholesalers in the country. So you get direct prices from a dealer that you can trust. To learn more about buying silver and gold, because it's not like buying a stock or bond. I'm just warning you right now. There's some differences here. Call and find out how to do what you need to do. 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services are offered through David Lucas Financial, an Arkansas registered investment advisor. All right, back with you. Let's continue talking here with Nathan and uh, discussing inflation. And, And let me just ask, why is inflation bad, Nathan? I mean, I guess everybody understands that it makes your money worth less. Uh, yes. Well, people people talk about it in, in terms of you know so-called purchasing power. You your hundred dollars doesn't buy as much in the store. Um, but it actually, if we, if we think about the monetary aspect of things, it's a little more subtle than that. Um, really, the, the the kind of inflation that's caused by central banks, as as opposed to you know supply and demand issues in the regular economy. Um, your, your money is worth less, and exactly, and it, but it's not necessarily because of prices. It's because the value of the currency has declined, and it's very obvious mm-hmm. when it happens to somebody else. You know, when, when we when we take a vacation in Mexico, and uh, you know we go one year and we get five pesos to the dollar, and you go we go ten years later and you get twenty pesos to the dollar. Why did and you, then you say, well, why did prices quadruple in Mexico? Well, it's obvious, right? The money the pesos aren't isn't worth as much, right? And that's really the process. When I say, yeah, your money is worth less, that, that is really what's happening uh, in Mexico, and it's very obvious, very obvious what's going on. But the same thing has happened to us, and that's what happened in the 1970s, for example. People blamed you know, wage price spirals and Arab oil embargoes and so forth. But really all, all that happened was after we left the gold standard in 1971, uh, the value of the dollar fell by about 90%. The value of the dollar in the 1980s was about one-tenth by my estimate, of what it was worth in the 1960s. Wow. And just like in Mexico, there are consequences to that. All the prices have to be marked up, you know, wages have to go up and store prices have to go up to just reflect the fact that the, the currency is not worth as much. And that's, it has been going on less intensely um, since that time. I, I, I think the value of our currency, the dollar today, is maybe about one-fifth of what it was in the 80s. And not surprisingly, a barrel of oil has gone from about 20 average in 1990s to $100 today. So just like in Mexico, it's the same process. 
And and it's pretty easy to understand how this makes you poor, right? If, if, the, if the money that you get paid in wages and so forth, and and, and the value of bonds and savings and all these sort of things, pension uh, assets, if it goes down, then you have to you have to get raises, you have to get higher nominal salaries just to keep even. You know, you just have to kind of dog just have to get raises just to kind of doggy paddle back to where you used to be. Right. And that's that's not how you get rich, right? As you said, you can't devalue yourself to prosperity. Um, but this is not devaluation like we're just going to devalue the currency. It kind of happens while people aren't talking about it, right? The currency is slipping lower quietly. All right, so we got we got two major problems going on in the country right now. We got inflation, which is uh, you know you got a pile of money and now it's not as worth as much as it was, and you got supply and demand. And supply and demand is out of balance right now, and it's it's blowing prices up all across the board. This is a double whammy for the American consumer right now. It absolutely is. And that's why we're seeing uh, the highest official CPI numbers uh, since the early 1980s. Um, so, But it's very important to keep in, in people's minds to, to separate those two because there really are supply and demand issues. And we really want those to be resolved, and, and we know how to resolve them, right? Because you have to, even though the government is kind of getting in the way here, whether it be to restart factories or allow you know, unplug some of these supply chain things. Um, and that has nothing to do with the Fed. And then you have the Federal Reserve side, which is just managing the currency properly, which has nothing to do with those supply and demand issues. Right. So you have to keep, you have to keep those separate in your mind, because once you start to mass them together, you get a bunch of ideas and solutions that don't work, and we're kind of getting this right now, actually. All right. Last question for you, and I think the, probably the most important question by my listeners. Any uh, practical recommendations you have for the times that we live in right now? Uh, it, well, if you think of inflation as simply being a decline in currency value, uh then it's pretty obvious why gold, which has, has been the, always throughout history the one asset that doesn't decline in value and also doesn't rise in value, the one reliable, stable thing in the investment universe uh, tends to be the best performing asset. And if people say, well, what's the inflation hedge? Well, yes, you got your inflation hedge back in 2019, 2020, when gold went from about 1200 to, to $1,900. Um, and that was, that was actually... The devaluation, you know, the depreciation of the dollar, and now the prices are just catching up. Uh, so if we, you know, it's hard to predict the future, but uh, we do live in a floating fiat currency environment. The long-term trend of our currency has been down, and if we are now have that process accelerate in the next few years, uh, gold or other, or potentially other similar hard assets which maintain their value will tend to be the best performing. Okay. Well, Nathan, I'm going to try to get you back on in the future, uh, I hopefully maybe next week, because I want to talk to you about can the United States ever move back to a gold sta- uh, standard? Is is that ever going to happen? Is it politically feasible to see that happen? That, that in and of itself, I think, is a huge question and a great discussion that we can have. The name of the book, again, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. And uh, we want to thank uh, Nathan Lewis for joining us today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Nathan, thanks so much, and uh, good luck on good luck on the book. It's uh, it's pretty good. Thank you. All My right, pleasure. we'll have you back on. Thank you so much. All right, it's the Dave Ellswick Show.
we are we got uh, Bill O'Reilly coming up here in just a moment. Then follow that up with Congressman Westerman. He'll be joining us on the Dave Ellswick Show, and we'll talk to him about what the Biden administration uh, is doing about guns and about hardening schools and about, uh, you know, Jerome and what he thinks that he told the president of the United, St- the United States. And I'm going to tell you right now, he didn't tell the president what he wanted to hear. He didn't tell the president, yeah, go ahead and spill, spend another $3 trillion. That did not happen. Uh, and that kind of stuff is starting to leak out now from that meeting that the two of them had. Uh, with all of that thought, uh, we'll get back and talk to the congressman in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We've got Bill O'Reilly and then Congressman Westerman on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, just let you know, I just lost my headphones. I don't, ha- I don't have anything. Uh, East End Towing wants you to know that uh, they are ready to help you whenever you might need it. But they want to they wanna make you aware that there's some things you need to do while you're out on the highway. You see those flashing yellow lights on the side of the road? They want you to move over to the far lane. That gives their workers and any other company's workers that are out on the, uh, the side of the road trying to help somebody to have the, 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 the you know, distance they need to be able to do their work safely. Uh, we don't want to kill workers. We don't want you to get stuck in a situation you don't want to be in. So, uh, you know, go that extra just a little bit and move over to the far lane if you see those yellow lights going on the side of the road. Also know that East End Towing, no matter the situation, they know what to do, and you can call them and they'll help you out. Their number is uh, 501-888-8849. 501-888-8849. Let's go to Washington, D.C. Let's go talk to a congressman from the... uh, fourth district and 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 of course that's bruce westerman and and you know bruce the president came out yes a day before yesterday and um you know i knew that he was going to say something about as the democrats like to refer to it you know uh they you know assault weapons or uh weapons of war whatever they whatever is their soup du jour for today for the name that they call an ar-15 or whatever but he went a lot further than that he started talking about a nine millimeter handgun and he called that a high capacity weapon uh does that give you the republican party does that give you uh paused to to consider what this president might be thinking. I mean, the press secretary yesterday said, well, he's not saying getting rid of all handguns. I don't buy it. I think he'd, if he could get rid of every handgun, every gun uh, under the God's blue sky like Canada's doing, he would. We got you, Bruce? Okay, we yeah, got you I'm now. Here. Can you hear me? I got you now. Yeah. I'm actually in the other Washington today. I'm in, in Washington State. I'm going to be out here looking at some uh, hydro power plants oh, and cool. uh, nuclear power plants, you know, those things that make carbon-free energy that mm-hmm. the Democrats want to shut down. Right. They, if it's not wind or solar, they uh, they don't like it. But, yeah, I, I've been following what Biden and the Democrats are doing, and I've, I'm sure, like me, you're not surprised that, uh, you know, they take this opportunity to 
to try to go after the Second Second Amendment. They do it every time there's one of these events. But uh, what we're actually uh, working on is uh, going back to when Jeff Sessions was Attorney General. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but he actually came to Arkansas. He yep. did a tour around the country trying to look at what works in uh, for school safety. And there's a big report out there that it came out uh, – and, and then the Democrats won control of the, the House, and I don't I don't think those guidelines have been followed. But I've been reading the report, and it's got like great ideas in it on how we make our schools safer, uh, how we you know harden the target. We have either security guards or armed personnel at the school, and it's it's got really good stuff in it. So. That's the th- kind of thing we should be working on to make our schools safer, and that's the that's the key is to make the school safer because some deranged, crazy person, is, if they want to go do damage to a school, they're going to try to do it, and that's unfortunate that we live in times like that, but taking everybody else's Second Amendment rights away is not going to do anything to make a school safer. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, that's exactly what the Democrats want to do. I haven't heard as much talk of in the last week about getting rid of the Second Amendment than I've heard here in this in this country uh, recently, as though that's an easy thing to do. Thank God, you know, we control the Senate, and they can't. It's going to be very difficult for them to do it. And the Calvary is coming in November. I truly believe that. Uh, I've always said, just like uh, Kudlow says, hopefully there's something there for them to save. I mean, the Democrats are going out of their way to destroy uh, this nation right now. Yeah. And Joe Biden's comments exemplify how much they understand the situation. Um, I mean, he's totally out of touch with seems like everything. And it's it's almost like there's there's so many fires, uh, they're just they're running around starting fires, and uh, it, you're, you're having to fight on every front here. I mean they they want to tear out the dams on the Columbia and the Snake River. Um, without without Green Coulee Dam, it's been said we probably would have lost the the Second World War because. It was the only place that could generate enough electricity to smelter the aluminum uh, to make airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just everywhere you look, they're doing, they're attacking energy, they're attacking the Constitution, and I, they must realize that their their rule's going to be over in November, and they're trying to do everything they can between now and then. And you know, and I agree with that. I think that they're they're going out of their way right now to do as much damage, basically, as although they don't see it as damage, they see this as good stuff that's happening right now. The border out of control, and and uh, you know, taking away people's uh, freedoms and things of that nature. They think this is all good thing. It's not a good thing. It's the worst way to run a country possible, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's. Uh it's like every place that they could be doing good, they, they do bad. And I know I've said this over and over on your show, but it's the, the Biden touch is opposite of the Midas touch. Uh-huh. If you want to see something, if you want to see something turn to, to, you know what, then let Joe Biden and the Democrats get involved with it. All right. Well, let's come back. I got to, I'm going to take a break because I want a few more moments 
uh, towards the end of the show that we can talk. I want to talk about Nuke Power with you because Nuke Power today is not Nuke Power Three Mile Island. It just isn't that any longer. And let's talk about that because building nuke plants probably, well, not probably, it is the the wave of the future or should be and then i want to talk about uh, the republican party and w- what you all are are going to start telling people are the answers to the problems that we're stuck in with 469 uh, a gallon gas and 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 high food prices and all the rest so let's do that uh, congressman when we come back here on the dave Ellswick show but right now let's find out what's going on with the travs I'm Stephen Davis, and this is your Travs Report for Wednesday. Travs got their series in Springfield, Missouri, off on the right foot last night with a 9-4 win over the Springfield Cardinals, one of the best offensive performances of the season for the Travs. Nine runs on ten hits, five of those ten hits going for extra bases, four doubles, and a solo home run by Connor Hoover. Travs also drew six walks. They were hit by a couple pitches. Great situational hitting, moving up runners with men on even when they made an out, and then three sacrifice flies coming through with a runner at third and less than two out. Jake Shiner and Joe Rizzo had multi-hit games. Shiner driving in three runs. Patrick Frick had a clutch two-run single with two out in the fourth that helped build an early four-run lead for the Travs. And it was all more than enough because Taylor Dollard continued his great start to the season and the starting pitcher's run of dominance for the Travs. Dollard going five innings, allowing just one run, didn't walk anybody, struck out seven on the way to his second win of the year, although his ERA did move up over one for the first time this season. Travs with the win last night, 9-4. to four. They'll go for two in a row over the Cardinals and four in a row overall tonight, 635 first pitch. Got it for you over a 93-3 the Fish, two-time reigning Texas League Pitcher of the Week, Connor Jones, coming off his seven-inning no-hitter last week, starts for the Travs against the Cardinals' first-round pick of a year ago, Michael McGreevy. Again, Car- Travs win last night in Springfield, 9-4. I'm Stephen Davis, and this is your Travs Report. Okay, let's continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Congressman, of course, Bruce Westerman is our guest right now. Good to have him uh, along with us. By the way, Congressman uh, French Hill will be back with us next week. He had to take this week off. So we'll just get one congressman today, and that's too bad But you know, because there's a lot of things going on that we need to talk about. Let's talk about something you mentioned. You're out in Washington State right now. Boy, they got some weird people in Seattle. That uh, that one politician now that wants to give homeless people uh, any kind of vacant house, just just go ahead and move in. Did you hear about her? Yeah, I think yeah, I think they're in a competition with uh, with the Portland area to see who can be the <laughs> the weirdest and and the most communist. Uh, they're, they're telling me that uh, this primary they had in Oregon last week, uh, a guy named Kurt Schrader who was one of the sensible Democrats left. He got beat in the primary, and, and they said it's like a, a bona fide communist. They don't know how to describe this lady other than a, than a communist that, uh, is, you know, AOC supported. So we're thinking that's another seat we could pick up this fall, but I'm out in the, kind of in the heart of Washington in the, the Tri-Cities area in Pasco, and they they said you're safe here until you go over the mountains towards <laughs> Seattle. But uh, you know, a lot of lot of farm country right um, right here on the the Columbia River. And I'm I'm really excited about all the stuff we'll be seeing today. We'll be touring uh, a lot of these hydropower plants and also um, going to the Pacific Northwest National Lab where they're doing research on the the next generation nuclear power which is very very promising 
Um, and I think we're, we're going to tour a nuclear power plant up here as well today. Uh, but, you know, Washington State produces 27% of the hydropower produced in the country, by far the, the country's leading hydropower producer. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they want to tear the there's, – there's people pushing to tear the dams down. And there's – when you talk about carbon in the atmosphere, which they all get excited about – uh, there's no way you can generate electricity with less putting less carbon in the atmosphere than than hydro or, or nuclear, and those are the things they want to shut down. They just want to build more windmills and solar farms. Um, I guess they don't care if it's reliable or affordable. They just want to uh, do something that that grows some government program that makes these things affordable. Yeah, they just want to do something that makes them feel good. By the way, you're in part of the Washington state where if you say the word snail darter, you might get shot. <laughs> maybe maybe so. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll try to keep that to myself today. Yeah, cuz that's the you know that that's the uh the animal du jour uh from going all the way back to the 90s that uh, they wanted to tear those dams down for basically yeah yeah that you can you can talk about the spotted owl or the yep. snail darter or um what's, there's the one down in san francisco bay that gets people in the west really fired up too well, they can't they can't find it but they're releasing all the water down there to uh, to save it well here in in arkansas up in northwest arkansas we don't build bridges because of mollusks that are up there so we don't, they don't have anything on us about stuff like that. But let, let's go back and talk about nuclear pro, uh, uh, you know, nuclear plants. And you're right. It's the cleanest form of energy that we can use. But everybody, when you bring up nuclear, the first thing that seems to pass through people my age's minds and probably Gen Xers as well is uh, things like um, – Three Mile Island, or uh, what was the movie with Jack Lemmon and Jane Fonda in it that that they did that showed a, a plant going, you know, the core was overheating and was going to burn its way all the way to the center of the earth or whatever. Yeah, those days are gone. That's that is such. That's like looking at a a Wright Brothers airplane versus a you know one of the new Boeing models that they're building uh, out in Seattle right now. Yeah, and, you know, the latest one of these uh, nuclear power plant failures was the Fukushima plant in Japan when the tsunami hit. And it was the same method of failure. They lost the the pumps. They weren't able to circulate cooling water, so the core got uh, got overheated. As a result, in Germany, I think, had 21 nuclear power plants, and they were scheduled to shut the last three of those down this year. Um, you've seen the regulatory process in the U.S. get so uh, so bad that it makes nuclear power unaffordable. That seems to be a game plan of the, the bureaucrats and the Democrats, which are kind of the same, is they, they regulate everything so much that it, it makes it not affordable or it makes wind and solar um, more affordable when compared to the the alternatives, and you know Joe Biden's been talking about that. How high fuel prices are, are a good thing. We're going to go through this yeah. great transition. Um, but you talk about the next gen of nuclear power plants, and you're not talking about water cooled facilities where you have to have 
cooling water and pumps to keep the, the system cooled down. You use a, uh, it's a molten salt that it's in a solid form when the plant starts heating up and then it, it gets hot enough, it makes this, uh, this mixture liquid and it, it's what flows around the core and dissipates the heat. And my understanding is when the, uh, if something shuts the plant down, it's a natural process, whereas it, if it cools off, this, uh, these molten salts turn back to the solid phase, and there's really no, no way you can overheat the core with these kinds of cooling systems. And plus, you can make much smaller nuclear reactors where you can spread them out, which would be good for the grid to have the power more distributed so that you're not having to transmit a lot of power a long way. So these are the exact things we should be looking at going forward on how we make uh, very safe, very reliable, and affordable um, power uh, as clean as possible. These are the ways to do that, uh, but it's not the... Uh, the the, the way the Democrats want to do it. They think it's it's wind or solar or you don't have power. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy, to be honest with you, Congressman, because, you know, we should be looking, as we keep, keep saying, all of the above. We should be looking at every way to produce power in this nation so that uh, we're never caught short. Yeah, and we also, we've got to get the data out there on how much the taxpayer is paying for these wind and solar farms. Uh, you know, they, they start putting this information out like it's the most affordable kind of energy to produce now. Well, take this, the federal tax subsidy out of it and see how affordable it is. It's, it's affordable because the taxpayer is footing the bill, and it's a backdoor way for people to make a lot of money on these projects. And by the way, where's the material coming from that goes into these wind and solar farms? Uh, most of it's not produced in the United States. Correct. It's coming from 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 China. So there's there's a ton of problems with it uh, that never get discussed. It's like wind and solar gets a free pass in the media. It gets a free pass uh, when uh, people are trying to talk about how how good it is. They never look at the, the downsides of it. And I have have no problem with wind and solar technology. It's just not the panacea that it's made out to be. Well, let me let me move us uh, forward because I think after November, uh, you are going to be what chairman natural resources. Is that what I'm hearing? That's uh, you know we're not taking anything for granted on winning the majority. I understand that the majority. I'll I'll be the, the chairman of the natural resources committee. Okay. All right. So as you look, so that's part at, of the. Go ahead. That's part of the reason for making trips like this and getting out and looking at a lot of stuff and getting legislation ready to go. And, uh, you know, we're going to be very prepared when January of next year comes around on a strategy to, and I think that's what what you were going to ask me about, is, uh, uh, you know, what are we going to do different when we're in the majority well, yeah, that you know that comes to mind because even though you'll be in the majority, there's still one house. It's called the White House that uh, you know can put a, put a, a damper on everything. And if, and if that occurs, uh, I mean, how are you going? 
What are you guys going to try to do to handle Biden? I guess that's the big question. How do you get him on board or can you with the things that the Republican Party is going to want to do? Well, the only thing we can do uh, from that perspective is put good ideas out there and let the court of public opinion put pressure on on the White House to do the right thing. Now, do we think they will do that? I, I have no control over it. But we do have control over what bills we hear, what we pass out of the House. You've still got the Senate to deal with as well, whether it's Republican majority or Democrat majority, you've got that 60 vote threshold. So I don't want to overpromise on passing laws that are going to do great things. But what one thing we for sure can do is have transparency and hearings and stop crazy stuff. Uh, that's the that's the low hanging fruit, and then we'll try to push good policy ideas on top of that. Sounds fantastic, Congressman. Enjoy your stay out there in Washington State. We'll catch you back either in Washington, D.C., or if you happen to be in the area, come on into the studio. We'll have you here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and we look forward to that happening in the near future. Have a great one. Thank you, Dave. You too. All right. Congressman Bruce Westerman here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And he's right. I mean, if we only have the House and we don't have the Senate and the White House, at least in the in the you know, over there in the House, they can get some of these issues out in front of the public and give them the information they do they need for it to be transparent and how to move ahead here in this country. There's a lot of war still to be fought, uh, both in the uh, the Capitol and in the White House. All right, I'll take a break for an hour. I'll be back to talk about a new book called The Reactionary Mind: Why Conservative Isn't Enough. That's on the Dave Ellswick Show next. FMTheAnswer.com, Amazon Alexa, iHeart, or Radio.com. Breaking news and stimulating talk. 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, 9 o'clock hour, Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you. Good to be here with you. We've got an excellent author that's going to join us. And, uh, you know, I don't talk about this enough, but Regnery Press is an offshoot or a part of uh, Salem Communications. They're a publishing arm, and they do a great job of coming up with some very interesting texts that uh, we get to read. And I get to – I spend a lot of time reading And uh, I decided that we would do a a half hour with this author because I I just thought it was really interesting what he was talking about. Uh, It's the the title of the book is "The Reactionary Mind: Why Conservative Isn't Enough." And I'll be honest with you, Michael, it's that "why conservative" in quotes, by the way, isn't enough that really. uh, Caught my attention. It was like, well, why isn't conservative enough? So. Why isn't it enough, Michael? 
Uh, Dave, this is Mark Bauerlein. Oh, I've got we've got a different person on. Okay, well, good. All right, I got your book here too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I know the scheduling got got shifted around, uh, uh, so I'm 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 happy to join you now and talk about the book. Okay, well, that's good. And uh, hey, if Michael calls in. Say we'll get him set up for tomorrow. All right? We'll do that. All right. The dumbest generation grows up. To be honest, this one is easier to understand than uh, Michael Davis's book, to be honest. So that, that that's a good thing. From stupefied youth to dang, uh, dangerous adults. So, Mark, you're not uh, taken with the computer generation. Is that right? No, no. I wrote a book 15 years ago called The Dumbest Generation, How the Digital Age Stupefies Young Americans and Jeopardizes Our Future. Or don't trust anyone under 30. And the point of that book was to say that teenagers now are logged on. They're on social media. Facebook had just come along in MySpace. And uh, texting was going to take off pretty soon. And that this was an awful formation of teenagers for responsible citizenship when they enter into adulthood. And And I said, while all you people are cheerleading, millennials as, you know, the next greatest generation and they're so good with the tools and they're going to lead America into the 21st century and they're electing Barack Obama and they've got all the right social attitudes, they are not going to be doing well and this country's not going to be doing well when this generation grows up. Well, where are we now? Uh, Millennials are now in their early 30s. And how are those great, amazing, millennial individuals doing? Not so good. Uh, we know that a lot of emotional problems are, are up, uh, or depression and anxiety. Uh, they have a great deal of intolerance uh, as opposed to that tolerance that they were thought to have. They're very big on cancel culture. There's just a sour mood among that generation. And my point was, well, the problem was that, you know, they weren't reading good books and, and learning about history and politics. They weren't going to church when they were young. They were tied into these little screens going back and forth all night with one another. And now we're seeing the results. Instead of loving their country, they're marching for social justice. Instead of going to church, what are they doing? They're online signing petitions to get people fired for telling some dumb, sexist joke, whatever. And that this is what has happened. They were stupefied when they were teenagers. Now... As adults, they are illiberal, often anti-American youth who are betraying the traditions of this country. And I blame the mentors, right? The teachers, the parents all too often who let them dive into those screens and didn't give them a good formation when they were young. You know, it, you bring up an interesting point. I'm, I'm a big history buff. I mean, I... I, I spend a lot of time reading history books, you know, and what happened and why did it happen. I didn't learn my, my history from movies. I, I may have gotten interested in history by watching movies, but I didn't get my history from movies. I actually read books from authors who wrote about history, and then I, wrote, I read different authors, so I feel I got a pretty good overview of, of history, perchance. But now that's not the way it is. These kids go on, they see three paragraphs on a website, and they think they know it all. You know, this is one of the biggest problems. They have enormous 
confidence in what they do know, even if they, you know, the, the amount what they know is just bare ignorance, but they, they really do well, feel uh, a great deal of confidence in themselves about these things because we've told them you're great, that's you're amazing. Ex- that's exactly wonderful. right. And boy, I, I remember arguing this point, a trophy for every child and nobody finishes number one. I mean, I'm seeing that even cons- carried on today. Schools getting rid of Val Victorians and Salutorians and all the rest, and every that way nobody feels bad about themselves. It it, yeah. it raises ignorance. That's what it raises. It's, it it gives them false expectations of reality, because what happens is that they're told these things in school. Everyone is viable. Everyone is we're all we're all equal. Everyone deserves to be happy. On and on, and then they leave school, and they go into the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know that your your fifty year old coworkers they really don't care what happened to you over the weekend. <laughs> uh, your your boss really doesn't care if something's going on. You know your 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 your, your girlfriend dumped you. I don't care. Just get the work done. Yeah. I don't care. And they, they don't understand that. They wait a minute. Uh, you know, I'm, on my Facebook page, I post the details of my life and all these people respond. They really care. No, some, this is that false expectation. And when the world doesn't care, it turns out like that, they feel betrayed. Mm-hmm. This is the bitterness that they feel at age 30 and they have nowhere to go. They don't go to church. They don't feel patriotism. They don't feel committed to their neighborhoods, their communities, they're rootless and groundless. And they end up going to the wrong places for purpose and meaning in life, like, you know, racial justice or, you know, who, who, who knows, you know, a world entirely free of discrimination where everyone gets everything he wants. Well, guess what? Uh, the only place that happens is in heaven, and heaven isn't on earth. Uh, of course, you know, that, that's where the, this ut- whole utopian notion comes from, uh, that they, they were able to create a little utopia when they were 15. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 Dave? They could go in their bedrooms at night, shut the door, Turn on all the screens. They got the phone. They got the laptop. They might have the video game going, a little music going. And they had all these connections. They had their Facebook friend list, 250 people. And what could they do if someone in that friend list says something like, "Eh, maybe John McCain is, is better than Barack Obama? They could just unfriend that person. Yeah, they don't have to listen to him. Yeah, they, they, a text message comes through and they don't like it, block that person. So they've been canceling since 2010. Mm-hmm. And they, they fabricated this artificial, all-affirming world in that bedroom. Reality could be never disagreeable. They never had to face a contrary opinion if they didn't feel like it. And, and they were in control. Right? They could set up the boundaries in their little utopian world. What have they done? They've taken that space and transferred it to the workplace, to the campus, to the public square. 
and they didn't read the books and study the history and get lessons from, from religion that would teach them, no, this is not the way to go about life. This is not going to work for you. So they're stuck, 33 years old, uh, angry, and wondering what's wrong, and they don't know what to do about it. You know what they hate the most, Mark? They hate that their truth is not the truth. There is a truth, but it's not my truth, your truth, their truth. It's the truth, and they don't want to deal with the truth. And their teachers let them believe that. Yep, they do. You're their exactly teachers right. didn't correct them. Their teachers didn't have them read uh, George Orwell. No. Which, or, 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 you know, Fahrenheit 451, which would say, you know, you know what? This, this life you're, you're leading of relativism, your truth, my truth, everything's subjective, it leads to a very bad place, a bad society. And I, I think a lot, hell of a lot of the problems that we see today in our world uh, is, is due to the fact that we've got now a, a generation, now two generations with Gen Z, of people who are, are coming into the uh, American adulthood believing these, these bad things. Mm-hmm. I agree. They, they don't, they, you know, they, they, my feelings, I'm offended. So? so what if you're offended? <laughs> I mean, grow up. <laughs> I love that. I love because I look at my kids and I say that they go, that really offends me. I go, so what? <laughs> and, then, and this is, you know, democracy, free speech, individual rights demand that you have a little bit of a thick skin. You better believe in, it. In public. You I know, got you. Something offends you. You know, you walk away. No, they say, I'm going to get rid of you. You're not allowed to do that we're 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 going to go after you for believing such as and the thing is that you know 10 years ago you could believe things that were common among everyone now if you believe them and say them we're, we're, we're going to cancel you mm-hmm. i mean this this political correctness just keeps getting worse and you know the leaders of our institutions college presidents and ceos of corporations they just bow down. Yeah, they play into they, it. They, oh, they, they really do. Indulge. They indulge the the protesters and and the grievance mongers. It, it's actually good business. I mean, the leaders, the founders of Black Lives Matter. You, you got to hand it to them. Those three, those three women. They are amazing entrepreneurs. They yeah. made millions and millions of dollars off of this 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 bogus movement and you know now they're under investigation you know everyone that they've been pulled from from the charity uh, uh on on amazon and elsewhere uh because everyone knows totally corrupt organization but boy they they live well and all these organizations they contributed money to to these racial justice I agree, Mark. We got to get a Mark. We got to get a break in. Let's do that. Then we're going to come back and let you. I'm going to just turn you loose, man. I want you to. <laughs> ev- I want you to eviscerate this because 
it, it, we're facing this in our country, and it's going to lead to the downfall of our country if we don't stop it. The dumbest generation grows up from stupefied youth to dangerous adults. We're going to have more on that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me give you some information. This is true information, all right? This is not something I'm making up, all right? This is just not my feelings. This is real information, and that is that Pat Davis, if you'll call him, he's going to save you 30 to 50% on your health insurance. Fact. He'll save you 30 to 50% on your health insurance. You can choose any provider in the nation, and what he does will save you 30 to 50%. You'll not have any copays anymore. You're going to get rid of huge deductibles. He's got deductible busters and all the rest. All of this is things that you need to know so you will save a lot of money. We've had people call in here to this show and and sing the praises of Pat Davis and how it saved them $15,000 in the last year just in their health care. You call Pat Davis, get in on those savings as well. Pat Davis is at 501-605-6935, or you can visit him online, Your Health Plan Man. That's one word, yourhealthplanman.com. All right, back to our guest. And Mark Bayline is a, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that, Mark. Is that correct? I'm. Okay. Uh, he's a professor over at uh, Emory University, editor at First Things, where he hosts a podcast twice a week, author of uh, five books that's out there. His commentaries and reviews have appeared in publications including the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times, and he's got a lot of important things to say in this book. For instance, if we allow the next generation that's coming up behind uh, the Z and let them uh, be inundated with the, what they've been taught here recently is that it just uh, it's going to it's going to be curtains for this nation. The the things that we stand for of independence and freedom and and, uh, you know, all the different things that makes America great uh, there. I, I mean, look, you look at. The thirty-some-year-old and, and 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 younger, they don't have a clue about the the Constitution because they want to get rid of the First Amendment, and now they're talking about getting rid of the Second Amendment. It's crazy. Well, remember that in totalitarian countries like the Soviet Union or Cambodia after the revolution. One of the first things that the tyrants did was try to eliminate memory of the past. We're going to uh, uh, take away all the old heroes. We're going to take away all the old Mm -hmm. victories and triumphs. We have to disengage people from any loyalty to the past so that we can remake them and create the future. You know, this, this idea of today, here's what the revolutionary says, today is year zero, right? So let's create an education system that first makes you ashamed of your past, your nation's past, and that opens the way to eliminating that past so that we can transform this country into something entirely new. So remember, Dave, the ignorance that we see among the young, this was intentional among the progressive educators. They don't want 
the young to know a lot of history. Nope. You know, let's make them empty vessels, and then we can fill it with our own preferred content. And it doesn't matter if it's true or false, as long as it facilitates the right political outcomes. Well, it's we, we've got it. We've got to understand this as a, a deliberate strategy on the part of the progressives. Now, Mark, you're you're quoting directly from 1984. You know when they sent you over to the Ministry of Love. And they they start uh, talking to you, and they start teaching you what the truth really is. And I forget who the character was in the book, but he made the statement that uh, what we're going to do is we're going to empty you up, and then we're going to fill you up with what we believe. And that's what you're going to become, because he who controls the past controls the future, and whoever controls the present, you know, controls everything. I mean, you, you look at that book is coming true. That is so scary, but that book is coming true. It's it's a pretty standard playbook where you you even go so far in terms of controlling people is uh, to to control their thoughts. Remember in 1984, yep. you could be guilty of quote thought crimes. That's right. Thought crimes. Now, what we see today with things like, you know, diversity seminars or ideas of unconscious racism uh what that is is we're going to reach all the way deep down into your mind Mm -hmm. you may you may behave in a you know small l liberal polite you know a fair fashion toward people but maybe you've got thoughts deep down that are wrong and and we're going to sniff those out we're going to look and when you say something, wait a minute, wait a minute, that sounds like you're verging on ideas, on, on racist ideas. This is the kind of paranoia that they end up inducing in people. And if you go to college campuses today, uh, my liberal colleagues, who are more or less decent people, they're afraid. They worry that they might be accused of something. They worry that... They assigned Huckleberry Finn for 20 years. Now, you Mm -hmm. assign Huck Finn. Well, Huck Finn has the N-word in it. You assign Huck Finn, you're a racist. Yep. And to be called a racist, to be accused of racism among a politically correct environment like the college campus, that's like the scarlet letter. I mean, you, you are humiliated. You are shunned. Uh, you have to. You might have to go get legal counsel to help you, and, and the university is not going to defend you, no, because all those administrators inside the 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 main building on campus they're afraid too. Uh, this is the climate. All right, it is not. It is not liberal. I got you, Mark. Uh, it's totalitarianism taking over. They've taken they've taken the velvet glove off, and it's just the iron fist now. Mark Bayline, our guest. The dumbest generation grows up from stupefied youth to dangerous adults. Let's do this again, Mark. I'll uh, give a call to Regnery, and we'll set up another time. We'll spend another half hour talking. How's that sound like to you? But I appreciate it, and joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Got news that we got to get to. Let's do that right now.
All right, back with you. David Ray joins us. David, what's up, buddy? Dave, it's good to be back on with you. It's been far too long. Yeah, it's good to have you as well. Look, and I, I thought about you and a, and a lot of other state legislators here just recently, especially listening to uh, President Biden over the last few days and talking out about gun control and, you know, uh, talking, you know, they want to they want to write up more rules about background checks. And here's what I would ask people to think about. And I think you would agree with this. You know, you may come you may think that you need something else. But if in, in, in background checks, but let me ask this question. Would it have stopped what happened in Uvalde and up in Buffalo or whatever? And if it wouldn't, then we don't need it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would agree with that, Dave. And listen, when you have a conversation about these mass shootings, it's very difficult to have a reasoned, rational conversation because the issue is so emotionally charged and it's so traumatic i mean these these events are horrific they are the the english language really fails to give us the words to describe the level of evil that we saw in in uvalde at that at that school massacre um but you know the things that that president biden is saying you know that no reasonable person needs access to a nine millimeter caliber bullet, for example, which is the most common self-defense round in mm-hmm. America. Um, I mean, th- those types of things are they're Well, they're not serious. Number one, um, they're 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 uh, the only thing I can assume is that he's not paying attention to the specifics of this tragedy, and and is instead using it to go after other items that are on his his political agenda. So, and unfortunately. So many of these gun control type solutions, if you will, they really sort of fall into three categories, um, which are, number one, like the background check issue you mentioned, they wouldn't have deterred any of these specific crimes. Number two, they're they're completely impractical to implement. Or three, they just on a flat out level violate the U.S. Constitution. And so we've got to look for solutions that are effective solutions that would have addressed these specific crimes, that solutions that can be implemented, and solutions that don't violate the constitutional rights of ordinary Americans. Yeah, and and it and that last thing really wor- worries me now because and I just talked about uh our two youngest generations right now and uh, how they think and they're already attacking the first amendment and now they're bringing forth well maybe what we need to do is get rid of the second amendment and i i've seen some people that i've thought were logical thinkers say that and i just i just look at it askance i can't believe that they would even think such a thing yeah, well, you know, look, the, the Democrats talk a lot about the need to uh, put further restrictions on gun rights. Um, the truth is they they don't want to do that. When they have had power, when they've had the presidency and control of the House and control of the Senate, they chose to pursue other issues. And so, to me, um, this is uh, sort of an off-and-on priority for them. It, that's just what their actions tell me. Um, in my mind, we, we ought to focus on it's, – it's clear that half of the country supports 
um, robust Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, uh, and half of the country, or, or a good portion of the country anyway, supports more restrictions on guns. Well, if we're, if we're not going to be able to agree on that issue, we ought to focus on areas, in my mind, like school safety, where we can find agreement if we, if we really sat down and tried. And it's clear in my mind that we have to do more to harden some of these sensitive targets like schools. Um, you know, we, used, we use armed guards to, to defend our banks, to defend our courts. Um, you know, our celebrities uh, all are protected by private security. Um, you know, our politicians in many cases are, you know, uh, look at Frank Scott. He's protected by private security, or well, not private security, he uses the Little Rock Police Force to do it, so he's using taxpayer-funded security. Um, our, our state capital, our sporting events, they're all defended with, with, uh, with armed guards or with security, with metal detectors, uh, locked doors, things of that nature, security cameras, you name it. There's no reason that our children should be any less important. And so I think this issue has to be front and center for for superintendents, for school boards, um, for, for every elected official. And I, I was with some of, my, some of my colleagues in the legislature yesterday, and we, we were talking about, about this specific issue of what can we, what can we do to, to make some of these um, places where, where crazed shooters might go on a killing spree to, to make them uh, more defensible. Yeah, it makes sense to me that you've got to sit down and have a reasoned discussion about this because, uh, as you said, it's such it's such an emotional topic that people don't even want to listen to reason at this time. They just say stupid things like, well, we just need to get, we just get rid of all the guns. We need to do like Canada's doing. Well, Canada hasn't. They said they're going to get rid of all the guns. But let me just say this. They haven't started confiscating the guns because if they do, there's going to be hell to pay up in Canada. Well, Dave, if more gun laws were the solution, Chicago would be the safest city in America. That's correct. But we all, we all know that's not true. Um, we all know that's not true, and and you're right. That look, the news media response to this issue has just been terrible. I mean, think about how much criticism you've heard of Texas Governor Greg Abbott yeah. last week, and and the week before that there was a, a mass shooting in New York, and you've heard no criticism of Governor Kathy Hochul in New York, um, and you've heard very. I've heard no criticism of her. Nope. Um, both states had a mass shooting. They were one week apart. You know, the truth is we have to do more to prevent this kind of thing. Um, but government can't solve every problem simply by passing a law, especially problems that, that spring from the human heart. Well, you know, you know why you haven't heard anything about the governor of, of New York is because they've got some of the toughest gun laws around and it didn't work. It's that simple. It did not work work if somebody wants no, to do evil they'll do evil no you're absolutely right and look when you when you talk about gun violence in america you have to recognize there's there's basically three buckets this is the way i kind of think about it in my mind there's three buckets of of gun violence there's there's suicide which is the largest bucket yes and there's virtually there's virtually no gun law that would that would solve the problem of suicide i mean 
any type of gun that you put to your head and pull the trigger is likely to result in death. And a simple revolver pistol is just as useful for committing suicide as any sort of weapon that that, um, liberal politicians would want to outlaw. And so if you really want to address suicide, mental health is the direction you really want to pursue there, not not guns. Bucket number two, which is also very large, is, is street, what we would think of as street crime. You know, everything from, from homicide to gang crime. And look, there's a lot of areas where people are breaking gun laws now that are not being addressed, whether that's straw purchases, um, theft of weapons, felon in possession. I can't tell you how many times I open the paper and I read a story about a felon in possession of a firearm mm-hmm. that, who is out on parole after serving a fraction of their sentence, and then they commit another crime with a gun that they're legally not allowed to be in possession. That's correct. There's a law that says they can't have a gun, but yet they do. That's correct. And then the third bucket are these mass shootings. And it listen, it's no consolation to anyone to point out that this is a very small percentage of overall gun deaths but because they are so completely senseless they they offend every amount of decency we have as human beings and they are extremely traumatic they're they're so random by nature that we wonder you know could this happen in my community and and they generate wall-to-wall media coverage and national attention and so i think we have to do everything we can to figure out how can we make this situation less common in America. Um, but but the, a lot of the solutions being proposed by Biden and others um, simply would not help. I, I wholeheartedly agree. So a quarter till 10, we're going to move away from this topic. I want to talk to David here in the last segment about what if, if he's reelected, which I think he will be, uh, in November, what is he expecting with a new governor uh, put into place? And I do believe that would be Sarah. That uh, you know, what are what are the Republicans looking at doing? Uh, you know, up in the you know the state capitol. We want to talk about that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm already looking that way. And I'll be honest with you. And remember what I've told you. I promise that next year when they go into session. I will be there live to broadcast in the afternoon so that you know what's going on. I haven't been able to be there the last two couple of years. This year, I will be there. We'll get back to doing the interviews that you expect from me uh, during that time. So uh, relax for just a few moments, uh, David. We'll be right back to you. I need to tell everybody about ICU and uh, ICU protection and how they can help you with your house and, and keeping it safe. I just got ICU protection uh, about five weeks ago, and it has done a wonderful job for me. I mean, nobody's tried to break into my house or anything like that, but I just like the feeling that I have about having it there. I know if somebody's walking up uh, to my front door, uh, if they ring the doorbell, I can look on my my uh, my phone and I can see who's standing there. Uh, it notifies me if somebody pulls up in my driveway. I know who is there uh, before they know that I know. And I've got all my doors and windows censored so that nobody can come in when I arm the system uh, without me knowing. they got about 30 seconds and then boom, 
you know, all kinds of noises are going to start, and uh, they're going to be, I'm going to be notified, police going to be notified, everybody's going to be notified that needs to know what's going on. Get Billy Mack to come out and take a look at your house, tell him what you're wanting, and uh, he'll look and he'll tell you if he, th- if he thinks you need it. You may, you may want some motion detectors. I didn't need that. And, uh, you know, do, do it so that you can feel comfortable in your own home. And with the rise in crime we've had, that's, a, that's an important thing, to be able to feel comfortable. Call him, 501-205-1333, 501-205-1333. And always remember this, you pay for the service, but all those sensors, all those cameras, that hardware is yours to keep at no charge. That's ICU protection. All right, don't forget about, uh, you know, East End Towing. They can do a good job for you. Uh, They'll save you a lot of hassle out on the highway. You need to know who you're calling to come and tow your car. Just don't wait for the uh, state police officer or the the local uh, uh, community or or county uh, officer to, you know, call the lineup of, of different tow companies they have. Have a tow company work for you that you can trust, that you know that they'll do what they're supposed to do. They'll take your car where you need to have your car taken, to have it worked on or whatever, if it's been a wreck, uh, or if it just broke down on the, the side of the highway. Plus, you want somebody that no matter what the situation might need be, they can handle it and they've got the answers for you. And that's East End Towing. 501-888-8849 is their number. That's 501-888-8849. Remember that name, East End Towing. David Ray is with us. Uh, of course, he'll be running in November uh, for re-election and uh, uh, we get him back into office like we need to have him in office, and he'll be uh, sometime in February, early February, being over at the state capitol as the General Assembly gathers together again, and they'll have a new uh you know, a governor that's going to be in office. Um, I firmly believe that's going to be Sarah, who I think is going to be more uh, conservative than our previous governor. And with that in mind, what are some things I know that you guys are getting ready already, uh, David? What are some things that you're talking about that you want to take up uh, next uh, next year? Well, there's a long list, Dave, and let me just first say I am so excited about the opportunity to serve with uh, who I believe will be our next governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, You know, I was elected two years ago in 2020, so I'm a freshman lawmaker, and when you run for office initially, you sort of run on promises, things that are are principles. You tell people what you want to do, but when you run for re-election, uh, you really sort of run on your record, on your on your accomplishments. And I'm excited to run on my record for re-election. You know, I, as a freshman lawmaker, I had seven bills that I wrote and acted into law. And, and Dave, they were bills that, that furthered the conservative cause on the issues that conservatives care about. I passed a bill to lower taxes. I, I passed a bill that, for the first time since 2015, expanded parental choice and education in a real way. Um, several of the bills that I passed reduce job killing, unnecessary regulations on businesses and on entrepreneurs. They removed uh, barriers to opportunity for people trying to climb the economic ladder. So those are things that I'm really passionate about. And, 
Look, one of the things that I'm most excited to tackle when we get back into session is this issue of uh, taxes and spending in Arkansas. You know that I'm passionate about that, Dave. Yeah. You know, we we passed last year, the legislature enacted what at the time was the largest tax cut in the history of Arkansas, which is a great step along the path, continuing to reduce our income tax. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who I believe will be our next governor and who I'm supporting for governor, um, you know, she has uh, said that she wants to work toward the goal of fully eliminating and phasing out Arkansas's income tax. And so I want to help her accomplish that goal. You know, we have made great strides. Um, when Governor Hutchinson came into office, we were at 7%, which really stuck out like a sore thumb on our income tax. After the current income tax cuts are phased in, we'll be all the way down to 49 And I think we're poised to really move further in an aggressive way because of these massive surpluses that the state has experienced. You know, the billion-dollar surplus last fiscal year, and we're, I believe we're uh, projected to be at 1.49, almost a billion and a half dollars in surplus this year. It really gives us the opportunity to make some some targeted investments in areas that we really need to, like public safety, for example, um, with the with the surge in violent crime across the state and across the nation, but also to really get aggressive about um, lowering taxes for the people of Arkansas so that we can give Arkansans a pay raise by letting them keep more of what they earn so that we can be more competitive for jobs and businesses that want to grow, um, a more attractive place for people to work, live, and raise a family. And that's that's what I am really excited about moving I'm, forward. Well, you know, now, you know I'm all about cutting taxes and cutting regulation, but I'm also interested in seeing some uh, redundant and uh, and different things that government does that I see getting their their nose out of uh, has the legislature showing some signs that they they've got the stomach to make some cuts. You know, I think that it's it depends on the specific area. You know, there's still a lot of folks who um, I think aren't as interested in cutting spending as as maybe someone like you or I. Are Dave, um, but I think you know one of my goals next session after uh, after going through one one term in the legislature, I wasn't really able to do this as a freshman, but I'd really like to get a seat on the budget committee next time around because that's really where a lot of these agency budgets get scrutinized. Um, it's where if you really want to have an impact on spending, you sort of have to be on the budget committee. Mm-hmm. Um, because once it gets out of the committee phase, then you're just left with, you know, are we going to vote this thing up or down? And um, you can make a protest vote, but at some point, you know, um, those appropriations tend to tend to pass. So that that's where I'm. I've really really got my sights set is um, potentially a seat on the budget committee, assuming I, I have the seniority to get there, which I'm, I'm hopeful that I will. But you know, there's a lot of state agencies that could really use a haircut. I, I believe very firmly that state government taxes too much and spends too much, and you have you have correctly drawn the line between the two. A lot of people um, don't understand this, but our ability to reduce taxes 
is directly correlated to how much money we spend as a state. That's exactly right. And and look, there's areas where we need to spend more. Just to be frank with you, you know, we need to spend more money in the area of public safety. Um, We've done some of that by increasing pay for state police and uh, adding um, a small amount, a modest amount of prison capacity at the North Central Unit in Calico Rock. But honestly, I really think there's more work to be done there. Um, much more work, in fact. So there, there are some targeted places that we need to increase spending, but there's a lot of places in government where we need to save money and do more with less by by innovating, um, by saving money in some of these shared service areas like real estate, vehicle fleet management, information technology, you, you, you name it. All right. David, we're out of time. I want to get you and Carlton Wing on here in the future and have the two of you in to the studio. We'll spend an hour talking about a lot of the topics that you just brought up, and uh, we'll continue doing that as we move to the election and then out of that and into the next General Assembly. I'm out of time. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, David Ray here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Dave. I'll be back with you 6 a.m. in the morning. Got a lot of great things to talk about. Stick around. We're going to talk about China tomorrow. That in and of itself is very important to talk about. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.